Hey there, it's Chris Rivas, and this is Brown Enough, stories between black and white. Before we jump into the episode today, I want to remind you that if you're looking for a great gift this holiday season, check out my book. It's also called Brown Enough. This book is a celebration of brownness, about embracing one's true self, but it's also a call to all bodies of culture to engage in the conversation of identity. It's about belonging. It's about being seen. It's a book about taking up space and self-worth. I know all of you know at least one person who needs to know they are enough. Because you are. Find it anywhere you get your books. And if you want to hear me read passages of the book, you can also listen and download the audiobook. Trust me, it's worth it. Now, on with the show. Y'all ever have podcast crushes? You know, that podcast that you can't stop listening to? You may even binge or repeat episodes that you already heard, but you just re-listen because you just can't get enough of it. I have one. I know you can't tell, but I am blushing right now. Here's my podcast crush. Welcome. Les damos la bienvenida to a special season of the Duolingo Spanish podcast. I'm Martina Castro. This season, we're bringing you the stories of true climate heroes— This is Martina Castro, the host of the Duolingo Spanish podcast. She's also the CEO and founder of Adonde Media, the multilingual podcast company that makes the show. I truly love Martina's sense of storytelling. She tells amazing and intimate stories from parts of the world that I don't normally get to hear from. Storytelling is the most incredible vehicle for empathy and understanding. That is absolutely right, Martina. Storytelling is more than just words put together. It is a tool that moves people in incredible ways. That's the ethos behind Adonde Media. Martina helps inspire non-English communities to create and consume content through storytelling. And most importantly, embrace the language they speak. Today, we're going to hear how Martina became a better Spanish speaker how she was inspired to begin her own startup company, and I will receive a straight-up masterclass on audio storytelling. Let's get into it. When something happens to your car, you might say... But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Even though her mission today is about telling stories in Spanish, Martina wasn't always comfortable speaking the language herself. She was born and raised in the U.S., but she often made trips back and forth to her parents' homeland in Uruguay. There she spent time with her grandparents, and she got the chance to practice her Spanish. So what age did you perfect or get comfortable with speaking Spanish? So I was raised as a like little, little kid. 
until before kindergarten, I did speak Spanish. It was, it was technically my first language. Um, but then my parents saw that I was having, I was struggling in like preschool, struggling with certain words. And so then they quickly moved me to like immersive, only speaking in English in the house. And so that that's kind of when I lost my grasp of Spanish. And I had just very limited vocabulary until about 13 or 14. And I just was so embarrassed. This is like, shows, shows my ego a little bit. I was like, I am so eloquent in English. And I want to be able, because I, I was a writer and I would write poetry and I was a very creative kid. And I could not express myself above like a five-year-old's, you know, Spanish with my family when I visited them in Uruguay. It just was really frustrating and embarrassing for me. And I decided that the only way to do it was to go travel there by myself. So I took my first trip to Uruguay by myself around that age. And um, I was there for a month. My goal was to study Spanish. Actual classes were a little too expensive. So my grandma agreed to come from the farm into Montevideo and stay with me at my aunt's house and every morning speak with me at the kitchen table to immerse me in the language. And I was really shy um, being by myself, having no one to express myself in English was really hard, but that was a really uh, important turning point for me. Uh, by the end of that trip, I was a little less embarrassed to make mistakes because I knew I the only way I was going to hang out with people, my friends' cousins, and understand what they were saying was to admit that I had no idea. Like for the beginning of the trip, I would just laugh at jokes. And for like up until then, laugh at jokes I didn't understand, <laughs> never stop anyone when they mentioned things I didn't get. Like I was like, oh, ha ha, yeah, I get this. And at some point that ruse was like up, you know, there was no way I was going to keep it up. So I had to just start admitting like, and asking questions, be like, well, what is that? What are you talking about? Why is that so funny? And the accent sunk in. And all of a sudden, I started expressing myself and also thinking in Spanish in a way I had never done before. I'm having like real feelings like, damn, I know that. That that uh, <laughs> fake laugh. Yeah. You yeah, know, the fake yeah. laugh or the, or the fake head nod or the like. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Uh-huh. Uh, I know it so well, you know, because my Spanish is just okay. I have a similar kind of, my sister got to uh, go be with our family in the DR and I never got that opportunity uh, for many mm -hmm. reasons that are, you know, life, assimilation, culture, America. Um, and I can understand it very fluently and I probably speak like a, you know, seven-year-old and I'm working on it, you know, and uh, the working on it is so much of what you just said, except you did it at a young age and I'm only learning to do it in my thirties, which is admit that I don't know it, which is ask questions, which is admit that it brings me shame and yeah. that it's okay that I do not speak it. Do you ever uh, get nervous anymore about your Spanish or you're, no? Oh, I mean... Yes, I do the disclaimer as much as I can. Like, oh, by the way, I'm not a, you know, I speak better English. So if I make a mistake, that's why. Because now I pass almost too well. And so people expect me to be a native speaker. And then I, and then I need to remind them that I'm not like, because I will make some real dumb mistake. <laughs> you know, I learned, I learned by ear. Like, I don't know how some of these words are written or I'll, I'll remember an idiomatic phrase wrong. So so yeah, I, I get a little nervous, but I get now more and more, I've embraced my bicultural identity. I tell people I'm from the United States, like I used to not say that or not want to emphasize it, but I think it's important. And so interestingly, like Uruguayans, they can 
they can tell that I have a neutral Uruguayan accent. They're like, wait, where are you from? Like in this country? Because they know the Mm -hmm. regional accents and they couldn't place me. And that's how it would always start in some taxi. You know, it's like, wait, but what? Uh, You're not actually from here, are you? And I would end up representing the United States. And for many, I mean, I met a lot of people where I was the first American they've met. Wow. And how mind-blowing is that? Like, they're like, wait, you're not American. I'm like, yes, there's many people just like me. We're not all characters on Friends. Like, (laughs) that's not just the only thing that represents the, you know, the United States. And so I actually started like feeling it was important for us to get out there and be like, hey, we're here too. Right after college, Martina interned at NPR where she was introduced to the spectacular medium of audio storytelling. In fact, she always had an interest in music growing up. She even studied singing and thought about pursuing it professionally, but she decided to keep music as a private passion and instead apply these skills to audio storytelling. As she continued to work at NPR and meet people from the industry, her career in radio and podcasting took off. She started to think about how many people couldn't engage with her storytelling simply because they didn't speak English. So in 2011, she starts a podcast called Radio Ambulante with Daniel Alarcón. It's one of the first Spanish-language podcasts in narrative format. Today, it has over 200 episodes from more than 20 countries with listeners all over the U.S. and Latin America. It's so funny when you're making a thing like that, which nobody knows that it's even valuable when you start, you know, you're just kind of in your pajamas mixing, you know, on the weekends or at night. Like I had a full-time job. So I was doing this at home. I was the the producer, the senior producer and sound designer. So I was mixing everything. And it's hard to connect that experience to what is possible. And then you see it so many years later. Um, I actually was in Spain recently for a podcast festival and all these people that I had never met knew me Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was because of Radio Ambulante. Like I really appreciated in the flesh, like what it looks like to realize your impact. I mean, a lot of those people came to podcasting because of something I made. And so I'm ridiculously proud of uh, what my co-founders and I did. We didn't know that it would work out as well as it has. Um, But I'm so glad that we did it. I'm sure that every story that you put your magic on for Radio Ambulante was important to you, but any of the things stick out? Well, there's one in particular that I worked a little bit more on because it, it was, it almost got killed. Like the story was not finding its narrative arc and I believed in it so much. And it was from Uruguay and I was there at the time and I was, I just was like, no, no, no. I told my the the executive producer at the time, Daniel, I was like, give me a chance to save this story. And so it's the one called um, 240 Birds, 240 Aves. And uh, it's about a man, but he tells the story of how he was a young boy discovering that he was blind. And you hear how he was brought up by his parents to never think of that as a as a le- that that he was less than but that the system in Uruguay the school system was not equipped to give him the same education as everybody else and the struggle 
his parents had to face to really give him all the opportunities that he was capable of. And then all of a sudden, as they're digging and finding things to keep him engaged, they find that he has perfect pitch. Por el contrario, yo puedo ver el mundo a 360 grados porque las informaciones me entran por todos lados. Izquierda, derecha, atrás, adelante. Por eso yo digo que eso, que ustedes ven menos que yo. The way they find this out, it's double double pronged is that he happens to have a real love for bird songs. Like they had this like I love this because I remember having the Encarta CD or DVDs back in the day. I don't know if we are in the same generation, but I think, do you remember this? It was like an encyclopedia, the very beginning of encyclopedias, like on a CD, digital on a CD. Exactly. So it was Wikipedia the, on a CD. Kind of. Yes, 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 yes. And um, one of the extras was recordings of song of bird songs. Whoa. And one of the, and so his dad made a game out of it and he's like, can you recognize these birds? And he was ridiculously good at it. And there, and that's how he figures out that he has perfect pitch and he has a knack for memorizing bird songs. And so this goes on and the story is incredible. I just, now this person, his name is Juan Pablo Culazo, works at my company. Whoa, really? <laughs> so it what? really goes full circle. He's a, he's an audio engineer. Wow. Um, yeah, he because in getting to know him and telling his story and the struggle he went through and triumphs, I mean, the story is incredible. It's like a movie. Um, I realized he was incredible. I mean, he is, he's super talented. He's a, he has a unique talent and has... Um, yeah, figured out a way to to be really good at audio engineering. So years later, um, I needed one. <laughs> and there you go. <laughs> um, but it was a meaning, so super meaningful story for me because Juan Pablo is now a, a big part of our company. And you don't realize how, the life it has until you get into it. But yeah, that's the one. This story lets me know Martina is an amazing listener. She not only crafted the story, but she really listened to Juan Pablo and acknowledged his skill set and put it to use. And listening is one of the most important skills for telling stories, y'all. Trust me, I teach classes about this stuff. But I'm always excited and down to learn from someone else's pool of genius. Can you masterclass me for a sec? Um, sure. I mean, I will do my best. <laughs> uh, I, first, I want to know, I think, what makes a good audio story? And is there a significant difference in what makes a good audio story in Latin America versus the U.S.? Hmm. Well, I'll answer the last question first. I think it's a, no, there's no difference. The, the most essential element is a an engaging authentic human voice at the center of it all. So that's number one. This is like basics. There's some incredible stories that sadly people are not very good at telling, you know? And so if there are people who have lived great things and if they cannot say and tell that story in an engaging way, it's not going to work in audio. It just won't. It will work in newspapers and magazines because we can write around that stuff, right? But you cannot fake an engaging, compelling speaker or storyteller. So that's ingredient number one. That sometimes is just enough. A good interviewer 
and a, a really natural, intimate conversation can be enough. And that can make a great podcast. My expertise is going a little further and in producing a little bit more what we work in scripts. Uh, we write out what's going to happen. We write out our stories. We edit those stories in writing first. And we really try to tell a story that feels like a good book so that there's a narrative arc. There's characters. We actually talk about real people like characters. And so we apply literary devices to get you hooked, to make you want to ask yourself, what's, what's going to happen next? That's the literal thing I tell all of my, I tell people in my workshops, I tell my employees, I was like, you want your listener to be asking, oh, what's going to happen next? And to really perk their ears up pretty much every 30 to 60 seconds, something should be happening. Either it's a new sound or it's music coming in, or it's the pace of the way the person's speaking slows down. These little things perk people's ears up and makes them want to engage. Masterclass complete. <laughs> Received. I can keep going. Uh, really, but you, you can. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I love it. I have one more for you. Yeah, go. Um, and this one I think is also maybe a a rule or a or a saying in TV writing too. And I think probably in all the good writing, even in books, which is show, don't tell. And so I say that one a lot. I say that one a lot. And I think that that is um, one of the hardest to learn that um, you want to make people feel something and ask themselves the question rather than you ask the question. So how do you do that instead of saying the thing you want them to think, right? It's almost like inception. <laughs> and, um, and I think that that goes to the heart of what's so powerful about audio storytelling versus other mediums is, or other media is that it engages the listener to use their own imagination. Um, you don't have the image. Um, you might have some music to suggest a mood or some sound effects to recreate some part of a scene, but you don't want to do too much. My philosophy is don't go overboard because this is not trying to fill in the blanks. This is trying to create some blanks that they can fill in on their own and engage and imagine the rest of the world that we are not providing for them, right? Show, don't tell. Martina is absolutely right. Now, this applies to almost every format of storytelling. Show, don't tell. Leave enough space to help the listener imagine and recreate the image in their own mind. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Martina is going to tell us how she launched her podcast company and how she handles the jealousy about not being able to have subtitles in podcasts. Stick around, y'all. Te presentamos a Alex. Ella acaba de descubrir el centro de visión de Walmart. Ahora hago mis diligencias en un solo lugar. ¿Compras? ¿Lentes? Walmart. ¿Decoraciones? Walmart. Y lo mejor es que aceptan la mayoría de seguros, así que ahorro tiempo y dinero. Bienvenido a un cuidado de visión más fácil. Bienvenido a tu Walmart. Se aplican restricciones. Visita walmart.com para más detalles. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously. Shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, 
Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And we're back with CEO and founder of Adonde Media, Martina Castro. In 2017, uh, Adonde Media is launched, and this is a bilingual podcast company. Uh, what inspires you to do this, or who? And what is, uh, what's the mission? I managed to check off a real huge bucket list item, which was to live in Uruguay. And I got to do that thanks to applying for a Fulbright grant and getting it, which was just like for me, just a huge honor. And it was specifically to teach audio storytelling in the University of Montevideo. Uh, they had no idea it was coming for them. They, I, I still wonder if they understand <laughs> what they were introduced to. Um, the world of podcasts and audio storytelling was completely not on the map in Uruguay at all. Um, but I think I enchanted them by the end. And um, I was still working with Radio Ambulante. And, but now from the region where we were trying to impulse, you know, an industry. I mean, truly there was not almost, I mean, I, I'm sure there were podcasts. I know there were podcasts in Spanish uh, and when we launched, but there was nothing quite like what we were making yet. And I found that to be curious because, you know, it didn't make sense that there weren't copycats, that we hadn't inspired people to do something very similar. In their, and so I was like, what's going on here? This is such a, a tragedy because we have so many incredible stories to tell from here. I want to see many radioambulantes. Like, how can I be part of making that happen? And I tried a little, a couple different like business models out of it because I thought maybe I could make a living at it. And really the thing that made the most sense was to launch a production company, wanting to tell stories from that region in Spanish um, and English. I wasn't sure how I was going to make it, but then I found out about this startup incubator in Chile, Startup Chile it's called, and I applied. They, you know, they have a program for female founders with just an idea. You don't even have to have a prototype. So I applied and I got in and that really launched my entrepreneurial journey, <laughs> at least uh, pushed it into high gear. Um, so I left Radio Ambulante. I started Adonde Media and the idea was to work with clients based in the U.S. Um, that wanted to attract a global audience and to talk to audiences in more than just one language. And Duolingo came calling uh, maybe three days after I started, wow. just crazy timing. <laughs> I know <laughs> they had actually called my co-founders for help launching their first podcast. They wanted to launch a podcast for their Spanish learners. And they realized that at the intermediate level, users were like, okay, we've done these lessons a million times. We need something else. We need content. And Duolingo was really smart to figure that out. And they're like, okay, let's make a podcast. Let's make stories. And so we, I was like, I'm happy to help you, but I just launched this company. <laughs> so as long as you do it through Adonte Media, I'm game. And that's how it started. I We launched Duolingo Spanish. That was the first podcast we made. I happened to be the host. Uh, that was, a mis you know, like a total coincidence. 
to answer your question about the mission, it's evolved over time. Right now, we are really about broadening the audience that we see as deserving of our stories. When we talk to people who are just like us, people who speak our own language, we are really only scratching the surface of the potential impact our stories can have at a global level. And when you really look at who speaks English, it's not (laughs) the majority of the world. Um, And that kind of cross-cultural communication, storytelling is the most incredible vehicle for empathy and understanding. And I, so this is like the big philosophical mission is to enhance and, and facilitate that broadening of who we think should be hearing the stories we have to tell. And, um, and in the meantime, we are bringing up a whole creative class of creators with us. I, we, a lot of the people I hired, they were working and making money for the first time making podcasts with Adonde. And that was like a huge part of it was like that our staff be made of people who are um, in the places where we're telling our stories and that our contribution to the industry is that we bring up all this creative class with us. I I really discovered you through the Duolingo podcast. Uh, oh, no way. Are I'm you a, a listener? I'm a fan of it. Um, listener, fan. I. Nice. I think the storytelling is wonderful, and it's inter- It's really nice to hear you talk about this. Uh, listening to sort of everyday people, uh, here's this wonderful story about a man who you would probably never meet uh, was participating in this art heist. You know, like um, right now you have a climate change uh, season, which is incredible because that's close to my heart uh, and needed those conversations. I'm really fascinated because of your beautiful uh, Radio Ambulante answer. What is one of your favorite Duolingo episodes? Oh, that's a challenging one. Okay, I'll just tell you the first one that came to mind. Because I they're like my babies, you know? I feel like <laughs> I can't choose one. I love them all so much. And we really have told incredible stories. But one that comes to mind immediately is Abuela Superstar. Uh, because I guess I identify a lot with her story. Um, and even though it has nothing to do with my story, but it's about a woman who uh, grew up in a part of Mexico where singing was very celebrated, but in the home. And women were not allowed to go out and pursue professional careers singing. And so she grows up, she raises kids, and her grandson ends up becoming a professional singer. He knew his grandmother was incredibly talented and that she had this sort of secret dream to have been on the stages that he was on. And he just decided he was determined that he was going to get her on stage and help her fulfill this dream in this very late stage of life. A los 80 años, por fin descubrí que soy cantante, gracias a mi nieto Jorge. He aceptado que ese siempre fue mi sueño y que nunca es tarde para cumplirlo. It moves me just to tell you about it. Because <laughs> it's just so beautiful. Um, I was very close to my grandparents and I only have one left. Um, and I'm just so grateful that I got to share some time with them as an adult, not just as a visitor, but as a person who lived near them. And I just 
I love that episode from beginning to end. It is so exciting. It's got all the elements that we want. It's sound rich. You can really feel the intensity of, of, of the cliffhangers and the moments, the, the plot twists and everything. And it's such a small story, but it's huge at the same time. What is the market in Latin America for podcasting? Are people consuming the content in the same way? I think it's growing leaps by leaps and bounds. It's not that easy to measure because no one's really doing a very comprehensive regional look at, at who's listening. We participate in a collaborative audience survey. As I launched Adonde, I launched a community of podcast producers because I thought that that's really what we needed more than more than a production company. Um, but even though that is important, like a company that will pay you money to make podcasts, uh, we needed a community. We needed to talk to each other and share skills. It's what I think is the secret sauce of the um, community in the United States of makers. We are so supportive with one another. We help each other. We reach out. We're on each other's shows. Like there's this kind of collaborative spirit that I didn't see alive yet in Latin America. And so Los Podcasteros is um, uh, the community that I I co-founded with uh, one of my employees and teammates. One of the first things we did was something because I needed it when I was in Startup Chile was get data. Like I was doing in Startup Chile, I was doing these mock presentations to fake investors uh, about my new company. And I would use data from the United States. Like I couldn't actually speak to the potential growth of listening in Spanish language because there was no data. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is really a lot of gymnastics to get to explain why there's potential here. And I did not have the money to do a scientific uh, study. So that's where this thing called Inquesta Pod was born. And the idea was that we would gather producers makers of podcasts from all over the region. And we would all launch the same survey to our respective audiences at the same time. And then that data would all get shared amongst us all and with the public. And it was super powerful for us as a community to show that we could do this. And so we're we're seeing that a lot of people started listening during the pandemic. Uh, new listeners, a new crop of listeners have come to the medium um, we see that almost half um, are committed to paying for their subscriptions if that ends up supporting the show that they love. So there's actually a willingness to pay from your own pocket, your favorite podcast to survive and thrive, something that no one thought possible because they're like, oh, no, no, Latinos wouldn't pay for their content. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they will. And and they do. And that's a beautiful show of how how valuable we are. So um, we're seeing it. There's some parts, but it's not quite, it's definitely not where it needs to be for that machine to be functioning and humming along the way it is in English language podcasting. We don't have subtitles in podcasts. Do you watch a documentary and get jealous or are you like, you know what? Because I don't have this option, I'm, I'm better for, you know, like... Oh, yeah, of course I get jealous. But I will say, I think subtitles are limited in some ways. Just like we are. 
And so, you know, they're not always perfect translations. Um, it's not the best visual experience because you are reading the bottom. So what I think I take away from that is that we should be less perfectionists about the experience we deliver because we are delivering an experience um, that may not be as perfect as we'd like it to be, but it's better than nothing. And I think that that's where some people are. It's like, oh, we can't do perfectly. um, We can't perfectly capture our podcast in another language. So we're just not even going to try. And it's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) It is worth trying. I promise you there are Spanish. I can, I know I'll speak for Spanish speakers all over Latin America who are obsessed with, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a Meryl Streep, you know, and they've never even heard her real voice because they've been hearing her <laughs> dubbed over the entire time, you know? And it's like, how is that possible? Well, it's possible because someone tried. Someone tried to make her films available to a broader audience. And I think that that's still possible with our stories and podcasting. So it reminds me that that however imperfect the experience might be, it's still worth it. This is the magic of storytelling, y'all. Martina and her team at Adonde Media are bringing forth diverse content from around the world. Content that brings communities together and shares the many beautiful stories that this world has to offer. Martina is also the host of a new podcast series that is out right now. It's called Canción Exploder. You get it? Like a song exploder? We take one song from a prominent artist per episode and explode it, right? The idea is that we pick it apart. As you hear that, you're also hearing the pieces of instruments, but also stories that are going to tell you more about who this artist is. Go check it out. I already have. It's fantastic. Peace and love. Next time on Brown Enough, I get to chat with the amazing climate activist and hero, Nayeli Kobo. I'm a proud daughter of two immigrants and something that my mom has always said is that when she immigrated to this country she never thought she'd have to fight an oil well for us you don't want to miss this brown enough is a production of stitcher it's created and hosted by me christopher rivas and i'm also an executive producer our team includes producer manolo morales senior producer abigail keel technical director casey holford production assistant gabrielle gladney and executive producer camille stanley Original music by Casey Holford. Special thanks to Kevin Tidmarsh. Workhouse Media is a contributing producer to this podcast. Carlos E. Hernandez of Ikigai Management is also an executive producer of Brown Enough. Don't forget to subscribe, y'all, or follow Brown Enough so you never miss an episode. And if you got a minute, leave us a review. A nice one. It goes a long way. Thanks. Witness Docs from Stitcher. When something happens to your car, you might say, No! My car! But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, 
Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.